Welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy podcast. This is your host, Brian Lubin, bringing you conversations with people that have achieved financial independence that you can bring out the mindsets, methodologies, and actionable tips that they used on their journey to help accelerate yours as well, my friends. Today's episode takes us down to Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's a small town in Louisiana where a guy's doing some really, really big things. This uh, Today's guest is actually going to be my friend Cody Caswell. Cody has been buying and flipping homes and then also keeping homes for his residential real estate portfolio uh, for a couple years now. And he does this through the Burr strategy, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat which has allowed him to have a rental portfolio of 15 units at only 24 years old. So Cody's doing something right, and he's doing something right very, very early on in life. So I can't wait to bring you our conversation today. The main topics of today's episode that I want you to be able to take out are going to be how to fund your purchases with cash flowing assets, the Burr process itself, how to cultivate a strong relationship with money and be a good steward of it, how to build a team and how to build a business instead of just going at it yourself, and many more other actionable items and very valuable lessons from today's episode. And also, this was recorded in October of this year, so we make fun of uh, Facebook crashing and that whole debacle that happened with Zuckerberg and Facebook getting hacked and how we don't understand anything about the internet. Do you? Love to learn. Anyways, without any further ado... I know your finger is itching, itching to go give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and to sit back, relax, and enjoy Cody Caswell. Cody Caswell, welcome. What's up, buddy? So, so excited to be here, man. Thanks for... Thanks for giving me this opportunity, man. I'm really excited. Really excited for you. Excited for where this conversation is going to lead us to. How do you feel that because we're doing this podcast today, you have literally broken the internet? (laughs) Thoughts, comments, concerns. You crashed Facebook. You crashed Instagram. You crashed WhatsApp. All of my international Brazilian friends that know you. Cody Castle is huge in Brazil international icon <laughs> i feel i mean it's an honorable thing was not expected uh, uh no man i think it's solely in coincidence <laughs> hey, well we'll get we'll get into um intros and everything here in a second but side note for everyone listening i don't know anything about the internet do you nothing i have no idea i know I nothing about the internet Strictly a user that's it I know nothing about the internet. And isn't that crazy how, and this is a whole tangent that we can go on like later down in the show, but we use this. I'm ashamed to say probably four to six hours a day using the internet through email, going online and stuff. Facebook crashes. I'm two minutes deep into an article describing why and how Facebook crashed. And I come to the realization that I have no idea how a computer works. (laughs) <laughs> or how the internet works <laughs> and i'm like how come we're not taught that in our school system uh it's just this fictional thing that just shows up one day we're like hey we have this infinite base of knowledge that you can just kind of click a button and tells you everything and we're just like works for me <laughs> but today cody is about you my friend i appreciate you coming on obviously uh we've talked and hung out a good bit um proud to be your friend man i, I we Cody's a great dude, and he's done a lot of really big things and accomplished a lot of stuff in a very, very short and accelerated time frame, which is why I wanted to come bring you on here. And that's going to be one of the main focuses that I want to talk about today is you not only did the thing, you did the damn thing quick. <laughs> and I know that our buddy, Matty, Matty A, Matt Aitchison, shout out, shout out official Matty A. He, he says wealth is built in a crock pot. Because you want that crock pot wealth, you want it to simmer, you want right. it to you want it to sit. It's slow, seasoned, takes time. Put some butter in that thing, let it simmer. <laughs> um, he said, "You don't want that microwave money. You want that wealth." But uh, Cody somehow figured out a way to just take a blowtorch to the to the crock pot. So, <laughs> here we are, my friend. I will let you take over. 
Um, tell us about your upbringing. Uh, what kind of created this catapult um, that is you? Yeah. So, um, so short answer, I'm Cody Caswell. Uh, so I'm 24 years old, live here in Lake Charles, Louisiana, southwest part of the boot. Probably never heard of us. Uh, right smack in the middle of Hurricane Alley. So, <laughs> yeah, different part of the country to be in. Uh, born and raised here. Real estate investor. Uh, so it's kind of cool how I got my start in this. Uh, my dad was a real estate investor growing up. I'm actually a third generation real estate investor. My grandpa started uh, whenever he was about 40 years old, I guess. He started buying his first few houses. Um, he ended up buying up about 10 properties over the course of his career. Started out as just a way for him to supplement him and my grandmother's income. They started out buying his mom's house and renting it out. So um, it started there and they grew it to about 10 properties over time. And my dad was uh, cutting grass through college. He had a grass cutting business. And eventually through the course of saving up money and working hard, he was able to buy his first house at 30 years old. Uh, he was able to, I forget the exact story, but maybe flipped one, seller financed one, and uh, eventually accumulated enough of a handful to sell his grass cutting business and start doing real estate full time. So uh, he was a big DIYer growing up. Uh, my dad would buy a junk house right before summertime let out so that me and my brother would have a summer project to work on them with. And from the time I was about 12 years old, I was cleaning out houses. I was painting. I was doing everything that a 12, 15-year-old kid could do. We, he was, Like I said, he was a DIYer. He did everything himself. So that obviously is not the way that I like to do things. You learn uh, being in a family of real estate investors, you learn a lot about what to do, but you learn a lot about what not to do. So by the way, you don't want to do things. So something we'll get into, but uh, worked my way up. I bought my first property at 16. It was a mobile home. I put my life savings into it. And it was okay. $5,000. Back it up. Pause. Back it up. All right. 16 years old. You're on a tangent there. I love you. I was trying to figure out how to drive a moving vehicle at 16 years old. And what did you do <laughs> at 16 years old? I bought my first real estate investment ever. Is that legal? <laughs> uh, a trailer is the only thing a 16-year-old can legally hold the title to. So, yeah, it is. Okay. Well, there's action action step number one from the podcast. <laughs> you can buy a trailer at uh, 16 years old. Look, I don't, I don't advise it. It was a great, it was a great learning experience because at the time that I had the opportunity to do that, I had about $5,000 worth of savings. And it was like, you know, you can go buy a vehicle. You can do a lot of things at 16 that are pretty tempting to do. But, um, you know, my dad growing up, whenever we were working in these hot houses in the summer, um, not getting paid for our labor, uh, knowledge experience, as he used to call it, um, he would, you know, we were, we were getting pre preached in basically that, uh, you know, you work once, you get paid forever. That's the way that rentals work. You work mm. once, you get paid forever. So we're in here one time, we're remodeling this house. It sucks. Yeah, I know you guys don't want to be here. It's summertime with your friends. And I mean, it wasn't like we were driven into slave labor, but he was definitely out there, you know, making us go to work and teaching us work, work ethic. Sweat and, equity. Uh, yeah, sweat equity. He was teaching us a work ethic is what he was doing. Um, ultimately, that's what I boil it down to today. But Anyways, he was uh, preaching into us, you know, I'm going to we'll be all in at this house at 80,000. I'm going to rent it out for $1,500 a month. When I go to refinance at the bank, I'll get all of our money back and we'll get paid on this house forever. It's basically, that's the underlying principle that was taught to us. So when the time came, I was 16, I could actually buy, you know, a mobile home. I uh, had this opportunity to come up where I could buy one and be all in for about my life savings, about $5,000. And it was, hey, uh, basically, when I was like, you can do this. And this is something you can do now if you want to do it, but I'm not going to go do the work for you. I'm not going to find the place for you. I'm not going to, he was like, you can choose to go buy a truck with it if you want to. It doesn't matter. He's like, I don't care what you do, but I've given you the knowledge. I'm giving you the tools and uh, you can take this and run with it if you want. So I decided to, uh, I dumped my life savings into this little crappy three bedroom, two bath mobile home and um, remodeled it throughout the summer. Did a lot of the work myself. Don't recommend doing that either, but it was a learning experience. And uh, I rented it out and, Whenever it was all said and done, I was making about $400 a month cash flow off of that mobile home. And I was 16 years old. Passive, that was totally passive. Boy, so, so $400 net? $400 net. Yeah, $400 net. Didn't really have a lot of expenses. All I really had was the lot rent and it was cheap. Um, so yeah, I was making about $400 net. And over the course of the next year, 
that bought me a new truck. And then it paid the note on the truck. And then I had a brand, I had a new truck that I didn't have to pay for, which was, well, then I didn't have to work for it, which is extremely cool. And I mean, I, have, I was getting all this money come in at 16 years old. How much money can you really spend? I had enough money to do whatever I wanted with my friends in the weekend. And, you know, it was just really cool to see that, like, I didn't have to ask for my parents for money. I was able to buy myself a new truck and I was able to basically pay for whatever I wanted. Yeah. So a couple of things there that I want to pull out and dive deep on right there. Uh, so one of the things that you just said was basically buying, shifting your focus. So a lot of, a lot of the time when you hear people talking about the haves or the have nots, they talk about extremes when it comes to investing, right? So it's like for anybody that's listening, that is relatively new or to investing or to the ideas or principles we're talking about. A lot of the time you either think it's either person A, John spends all of his money on new trucks, new shoes, new boat, new everything, or B, Eric saves no penny, doesn't go out at all to dinner. He eats grilled chicken and rice every single day. And then maybe him and his wife have a can of beans as dessert. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot in between. There's a lot in between. There's a lot of there's a lot of gray area. So a big thing that you just said that I think is applicable to what everyone's trying to do in their life is you said, hey, and I think this was unintentional in the beginning, but it became intentional later where you said, hey, I still want a truck. I still want a nice house. I still want X, Y, Z. Maybe you want an RV to go travel around and maybe you want a boat. Maybe you do want to like a wake boat. One of those cool ones. That's like, I think you had a wake boat, didn't you? Yeah. But I actually used my rentals to buy one in college. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm getting to, man. <laughs> that's exactly it. Is you're going from, Hey, instead of going into debt to buy something that you like, why don't you think about taking your money and putting it into a cash flowing asset that will buy the thing for you? So then you get the best of both worlds, man. Exactly right. Yeah. And that's it. And, and you're right. It was unintentional at the start because I just thought, honestly, what it was was like I was I was thinking that I was doing the right thing just because it's what my dad had preached to me. Honestly, I wasn't doing it intentionally. I was doing it as a 16 year old kid being influenced for the past five years of his life to do a certain thing. And then the time comes and it's time to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. But as I went throughout high school, I started seeing I was like, oh, I'm making this money. I'm not having to do anything for it. I bought a brand new truck. I'm able to, do, you know, to go to dinner with my friends, do whatever. And like, I don't have to go do like little odd jobs on the side to get it. You know, it was like, it just automatically comes to me. And then the light bulb kind of clicked. It was like, that's whenever I really started understanding what I had been preached to for so long. I was like, okay, you actually do. I mean, essentially you, get, you work once you get paid forever. That's the idea behind, you know, passive investing. The boat behind investing, that's the idea. Now, it doesn't always work that way. And that's, you know, really not true, especially as you grow this to a bigger scale. It's definitely a job. You definitely work it full time. But um, that was the idea. And I really started understanding it. The, the premise of that really started clicking with me. So uh, that was the big, like, aha for me at first. So it was like a Mr. Miyagi kind of esque where he's he's like wax on wax off paint the fence. and No, but you were like literally painting fences. Literally. <laughs> yeah, literally. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't tell you how many junk houses I cleaned out, probably 40. It's mm -hmm. terrible. Uh, you know, but like, and like what, you know, what 15 year old kid really wants to do that? Um, none. We all want to just be hanging out with our friends and do whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of principle that's taught behind and a lot of things that you're extremely thankful for as the years move on. Yeah, exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about you mentioning that you had $5,000 in savings. I don't think that. I had a DJ company in college. I don't think, I think maybe $5,000 was the max that I got up to ever in savings in college, even. Um, so my family never talked about money ever. Like, so when we were growing up, it was, you know, I don't know how much dad makes. I don't know how much mom makes. I don't know how this whole thing works. I just know that you get money. And if you have money, you can spend the money on something. Right. So obviously you had a different relationship and upbringing with money. Can you talk a little bit about how finances were handled in your family? Because obviously they were doing something right and they're teaching something right for you to even have that $5,000 safety cushion 
at 16 years old before you even go into this whole journey and go down that rabbit hole. Right. Um, yeah, we were, uh, we were a very open book family. Uh, I knew exactly what my parents made. Uh, I knew exactly how, I knew exactly how, exactly how they made their money. I knew where they money came from. I knew how much came in, how much went out. And, uh, over time, people would think we were like a weird family for doing that because it's not typical. But, um, you know, and I don't say this in like a bragging way, but like we got a lot of stuff by being an open family because the more minds that you get collectively working on a problem, the better solutions you figure out, right? So anytime that there was something that we either, you know, like wanted to buy, uh, I know we bought a, we bought a, my family bought a house on the river here. Uh, because we all sat down and we put our minds together to try to figure out a way that we can buy it. Uh, same thing happened with the West Texas Ranch. And they had a few different things that ended up having over time that we were just big on collectively, like using the collective genius in the room to try to determine solutions to like what we wanted in life. And, um, you know, a lot of people think that's extremely strange to do with their family. And like, I'm not going to try and tell somebody what's right or wrong to do with their family. But I will say that's that's really what worked with us was that we were able to sit down, lay it out on the table and say, this is how money works. And this is how you can grow exponential wealth. You know, rather than just kind of throwing your kids to the wolves and saying, go to college and figure out how money works for yourself. It's like, well, no, money's worked the same for generations. Money has worked the same since the, since the invention of money. So like the fact that, you know, more parents don't teach their kids the principles and allow for that success to brew is just, you know, I don't agree. It doesn't blow, it blows my mind. It's blowing my mind how everyone listening to Cody's keeping such a straight face right now while his dog is going wild. Wow, <laughs> Man, I was about to say, I was about to say the dog is getting hype. The okay. dog is getting hype about it. Man. I didn't know if you'd hear oh, that. Okay. okay. I shut I shut the door. You won't be able to hear him anymore. Dude, I thought I thought this was a Rogan studio. I thought this was all enclosed. <laughs> oh man, that that is absolutely fine. That man, it's like uh there's a dog up here that's my tenants have, and uh, it was going crazy before. Um, but yeah, man, that's that's crazy. So another thing that I want to hit hit on is the formation of ivory properties. So for everyone listening, Cody Cody has a successful house flipping business in uh, Louisiana. It's called Ivory Properties. Uh, you you go buy distressed properties, fix them up. Uh, your wife is actually the one that stages them, correct? She just designs and stages. Designs them. So yeah. she's in Sarah's in interior design. So it's a tag team situation where he goes in, he buys them, she designs them. Uh, I don't know why they're not a Lake Charles HGTV show at this <laughs> point. So it's gonna it's gonna piss a lot of people off to realize that you didn't just get like a two million dollar check from your daddy and just go off to the races. Like you built this thing. So, yes, you had the benefit of learning from someone through sweat equity and through, you know, you got Miyagi'd by your dad. You you learned through action your entire life. And what, what was the phrase that she said is you do it now and it pays you forever. Work once and get paid forever. Work once, get paid forever. So you learned that. But besides that, he was like, hey, go off on your own, build your own thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? It was. Yeah. And I'll actually say that uh, the majority of my real estate investing experience and the way that I do things actually came from mentors after my dad. So, you know, my dad was a good teacher of the basic principles. And then uh, actually, you know, getting involved with some local mentors and some guys that I've got really close with different people. That's actually what's brought my real estate investing knowledge to the degree that it is now. So I do things extremely different, different from my dad ever did them. I do them on a much larger scale. Um, I do a lot more projects, things like that. It's a lot different. Uh, and that all came from actually just, just getting myself in front of the right people and making it intentional to stay there until I get in their inner circle. And once you're in the inner circle, then you're starting to be able to get that knowledge osmosis and that flow off of uh, what they're doing and the different things that they're doing to build exponential wealth, um, aside from what you've been taught your whole life. So it actually came from, you know, aside from my dad. And, that, and that's the thing that, you know, it's not like a, here's a, here's a silver platter go. It was, I, I found, let's see, I, I, I purchased all of my properties that I have under my whole portfolio are deals that I've just grinded through over the past five years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and the flipping company developed from actually watching how some other friends of mine were doing it and me just being jealous. I was just like, 
why am I not doing this on a bigger scale? I'm extremely good at renovations. I was like, this is like what I'm good at. I, I, I'm my superpower is renovations. I'm not scared of the risk. I was like, what am I trying to stay small from? And I was just jealous of seeing them do bigger things. And I wasn't. So that's actually where that stemmed from. I, I sat down and I figured out, I was like, where, how am I going to develop this business into being growing as something that's bigger than me, something that could last for generations and can last years and be a profitable company. And I was watching them do that. And, and I said, I want that too. So that's actually where that came from. It was, it was almost like, it was almost jealousy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were, I want to, I want to go backwards for a second, but it's not really going backwards. It's going backwards and forwards at the same time. No. Now I sounded really cool saying that, but all Brian, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm about to drop it on you. So when we were at the GoBundance event, we were talking about passing on generational wealth through your family, through your lineage, right? Right. So wealth, I think it was some crazy alarming statistic where it was 60% of your wealth. So say you get all your financial goals and you want to pass it on to your kid. It was like 60% of that will last them through their life time like your fortune or your your assets or whatever whatever you built like 60 percent will last through the generation and the second generation but once you get to the third generation it was like 90 percent 90 yeah 90 percent of wealth is lost in the third generation yeah 90 percent of wealth is lost in the third generation so that's where my question stems from is going backwards and forwards at the same time so going backwards you had a grandfather that was setting, building the foundation, who's pouring the concrete, putting up the studs. Your dad started building on the studs. You put up the drywall, you started putting the plumbing in. And now all of a sudden you've got this multi-generational machine that's going now. You're a case study of how something that works. So you're the answer to a lot of the questions that people are asking. So what are some things that you can take and that we can share and this doesn't just apply to real estate. Y'all can take this with any kind of business enterprise, um, excess, like anything to pass on to your kids. What different things can you take from when your upbringing that created you to who you are today that you feel that you can pass on to your kids and your grandkids that will keep the ball rolling through the next generation. So you won't be part of that statistic. Um, I think it's it's being uh, teaching how to be like a good steward of wealth. And it wasn't even like, that's a little tough because I, I feel like the statistic is, uh, is mostly determined through families that pass their wealth on. So like our family, like my grandpa's still alive. I, haven't, I mean, we haven't passed wealth on yet. So like, we're not necessarily in that same statistic and that we're like a generational wealth family because we haven't passed wealth on and developed a family office. It's not that tight. But I do think, you know, in regards to your question, I do think that being a good steward of wealth is what the, is really the importance of it. So you have to teach people that teach people to respect money. Basically, you have to respect money and you have to respect wealth and understand it in order to keep it or else you will lose it. And I think that's what uh, a lot of people fail to teach is that they don't they don't teach their children how to be respectful of wealth, how the wealth works how to keep and preserve the wealth because gaining wealth is one thing, preserving it is another. And a lot of generational families that know how to gain wealth, they also may have lacked the knowledge on how to preserve it. So they don't know how to teach how to preserve that wealth either. So I think that's where a lot of those generational wealth families end up losing that fortune is because nobody was taught how to preserve it. And now preserving wealth is a lot different skill than, than you know obtaining it. Yeah. And then I just had Calvin Chin on for um, episode one and he was talking about a book, The Second Mountain, where the first mountain in your life is actualizing all of your goals, your ambitions, making it to the mountaintop where you figure out who you are, who you want to be. You're at the top of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Then now your second mountain is figuring out how to throw the rope back down. What kind of uh contribution you're trying to make to society now that money is not an object money doesn't matter to you because you have it i feel like a lot of the wealth transfer issues that we're seeing is a lot of those people never made it past that first mountain even though they were making a shit ton of money does that make sense yeah i feel like that was the case because i feel like those were the people that were and i may be completely talking out of my ass here guys but I feel like those are a lot of the families that were, you know, 
grinding, 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 grinding till the very end, displaced from their children, displaced from their marriage, probably on their third marriage, fourth marriage, fifth marriage. And they were just about the game. So how do you think you can kind of tie kind of some of these timeless principles about balancing wealth with all the different pillars that we talk about in our mastermind group? Those, because I feel like you do a pretty good job of balancing the pursuit with enjoying life right now. Um, you know, as much as it's about the game, like what's the overall game of life I always look at. So the overall game of life is not necessarily to just gather, like just gather your nuts mm-hmm. because like at the end, when you're sitting on this big pile, it's like, what are you going to do with it? You know, like just gaining now building, building a sustainable company and gaining wealth and all these things. That's extremely, extremely valuable. And like, that's, that's the ultimate goal of an entrepreneur, right? What, what brings you self-fulfillment is that, but also I find that um, a lot of self-fulfillment is understanding other is understanding other cultures, understanding other people. I love to travel just like you, um, you know, understand the world around us and that like we're not caught in this little bubble that we think we are because like the bubble pops and there's other people around you. So like just understand that like life is a holistic thing. It's not necessarily if you just focus on one on one pillar too much, the other pillars are just going to they're going to really suffer. And like we say in our mastermind abundance, you can't have a fulfilled life lacking in the other gardens of your life. You know, you can't have a terrible fam- familiar relationship, but have all the money in the world and then your health be crap. It's like that, that's mm-hmm. you're, you're not aligned. You're, you're, your life is not aligned with the world. It's not aligned with yourself. It's not aligned with the higher powers. It's nothing is aligned about yourself. And ultimately, you're going to feel a, a, a deep void that isn't going to be fulfilled unless you do fill all of your buckets, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like they try to fill that bucket with more wealth. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And that's never, and it's just going to be a a giant empty hole. I mean, as much as you fill this bucket, this bucket over here is still empty. Yeah. So you're, you're leaving one hamster wheel for another hamster wheel, but this hamster wheel has like 20 inch rims on it and they're chrome plated. Right, right, right. It still doesn't serve the same purpose, though. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big or great you get. At least in my opinion, just if the other parts of your life are are lacking and suffering, then you're just you're only going to get so far with with one bucket of life being great. You know, so you have to you have to really learn how to fill them all. And what and to what degree fulfills you? You know, because. It just depends, and that all depends on what fills your buckets, you know, what fills your gardens and where you can reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. That depends on yourself. Yeah, exactly. And then, so what he's what he's talking about to everyone listening is, uh, we're part of a group. um, I'm associated with a group where we talk about um, life holistically. So we we're all we're all business minded. We're all business owners. All business minded. We're going towards a common goal of. You know, we all want to be profitable in our business, but we also want to be profitable in our relationships. We want to be abundant in our relationships. We want to be abundant in our friendships. We want to be abundant fathers. We want to be abundant with our giving and our contribution to charity, with our health, with our lifestyle. Um, and I know that lifestyle design is a big part for you, just like it is for me. Can you kind of hit a little bit about how you're running this flipping business. So if we haven't hit on that enough, everyone, Cody runs a house flipping business again, as a reminder, and you have multiple people working for you. You know, you have multiple subcontractors working for you. How do you design, what kind of intentional things do you put into your life to delegate out, to be able to give yourself a certain level of freedom? So for me, uh, wealth is time and wealth is time freedom. So, um, you know, we are really trying to put a lot more systems in place to be able to totally exit as much as we can. But, uh, as of right now, you know, uh, our flipping company, we're, we're doing 12 to 15 flips a year. Uh, it's a good profitable company. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. Like I said, it really ties in with, uh, what we're doing. So, um, you know, we flip the homes, my wife designs them. It's really cool to actually be able to integrate as a family into this and, uh, to bring us together, actually allow us to work together. But uh, for us, it is all about lifestyle design, right? So time is freedom. Um, the way that we're really been able to do that is, is we're just able to scale it to a point where 
it, we can't be all there is. So we've taken on so much that mm-hmm. like we can't do it all ourselves. And that was how I got out of it. The mindset that my, you know, my dad had taught me to do everything yourself and be a DIYer. That's how I got out of that. It was like, I just took on too much where I couldn't be. And I was like, okay, now I have to, I have to figure it out. I have to delegate if I actually even want to fulfill my promises that I made. And then I figured out it's actually a lot easier to take on more and delegate out than it is to do a little bit all yourself. It's a lot easier. It's a lot more fun. Everybody knows a lot better. So that's what we ended up doing was uh, we just took, we honestly took on too much and we were just like, we can't do this all ourselves. And we said, okay, well, we're going to have to form a team here. So we started forming a team of our subcontractors, uh, my brother, he's a, he owns a company with me, the flipping company. We have, we have, so we have four companies. It's all under the ivory umbrella. We have the design, we have the construction, we have the flipping and we have the buy and hold the company. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so my brother owns half the flipping company with me. He also takes on half the delegation there too. Uh, so we gave half the company to him to allow us some more time freedom out of that. We're looking at hiring a couple more employees uh, towards the beginning of next year, hopefully another project manager and executive assistant. So that way we really can exit the business. We can work on it a few hours a week and we can really work from anywhere. So that's our goal is to be able to actually work from anywhere, travel with our passion, um, to build a, build a business that we don't have to be in. And that's the ultimate, that's like the ultimate freedom level of an entrepreneur is to not only build a business and build something that is sustainable and can last for generations, but to do it without you having to be involved. How, you know, how much time, how much freedom is involved in that? How much accomplishment impact is involved in that? So that maybe you can go build another one and then you can build another one and it's increase your impact in the world while also increasing your own time freedom, but you're growing that exponential wealth as well. It all flows into this ginormous wealth triangle that is all flows together over time. Yeah, that that's amazing. And when you're talking about that, that brings up two quotes to mind. I'm not sure if Cody Sanchez is the the source of this, but I've heard her say is you begin a business with you begin with the end in mind. So you you start the business with already thinking what kind of systems, what kind of processes can I implement here so that I can exit the business. Right. And then that leads to the second quote, which is David Osborne, who's one of the founders of GoBundance. He talked about, I do, we do, they do. So it's like, you do it, you do it together, and then you delegate it out to other people. You build the systems and processes to where somebody else can handle it, and then you're off to handle the next thing. Right. So what's the next thing, what's the next thing for you? The next thing for me is, uh, so it's going to be large multifamily, um, large multifamily investing. That's where we're moving into. Um, the house flipping company is great. We're going to keep it. We have no intentions of uh, letting that phase out. It's a great business. And, uh, you know, why stop a ball? Why, why stop a wheel that's rolling? It's like, it's doing great. We can get to a point of delegation. We can totally delegate it out. And then we want to move into bigger projects. So we want to do multi-million dollar multifamily deals. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we're going at next. And we're going to delegate the next couple of years hard into that. And who knows after that? I leave my options open to where I try not to give myself such a hard line path because whenever you give yourself such a hard line path, number one, you leave yourself closed off to other opportunities that may present themselves. But number two, you forget to live life along the way because you're so focused on this hard path that you've just determined for yourself that you forget to travel. You forget to just enjoy the season that you're in. You forget all these things because you're so focused on that path that you develop for yourself that you just miss all the scenery along the way. So I try to stay open and fluid to other opportunities. I try to give myself visions for the next couple of years and then let, let me see where my life is after that and where my business has grown to and what might be the next best trajectory after that. Along with the market, the market calls for certain things at certain times. So where's the market going to be and where's the best opportunity at that time? I don't know. I can't see a crystal ball in five years in the future. But what I can do is I can wait two years and then foresee where the next two years after that's going to be. I love it. I love it. And a part of what you just said kind of resonated with me to the point where a lot of us, we're talking about vision work. So we all talk about vision, 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 having clear articulated goals, deadlines, ideas. A big part of that is exactly what Cody just said to wrap it up in a bow for everyone listening. The how isn't necessarily the part you need to focus on the most. So the first podcast went out and everyone hears that, um, you know, Calvin's making $22,000 a month. They all say, how, how, how? 
And I'm I'm saying the mindset behind it in the the why and the who are more important. So what Cody is saying is to have a really crystal clear articulated vision of where you're going, but just know that the ride and the journey there needs to be variable. It needs to be flexible because like you said, a 2000 people weren't planning for 2008 to happen. People weren't planning for this to happen on the opposite end of the spectrum where people are getting priced out of the real estate market. Right. So it's going, it's going all over the, it's going all over the freaking place. So it's just keep in mind about the end destination, but just know that the journey there is going to be up and down, up and down, up and down, left, right, and sideways, but then just know where you're going. So another big thing that you said that I really want to hit on that's really near and dear to my heart and a really near and dear part of this podcast is about time freedom and how time is the ultimate currency and time is the ultimate source of wealth. So me and you are really good friends because I feel like we both do a really good job now. I didn't before of taking time to stop and smell the roses along the journey. Before I thought that that was unprofitable to do. And I'm sure you did too. Oh yeah. So how, what are some things I can go into a couple afterwards, but what are a couple of levers that you can pull to be sure to remember to stop and smell the roses and enjoy the journey while you're climbing the mountain? I have to remember that like, um, truthfully it happens whenever I do start getting bogged down. So we all go through these seasons, right. Where we're extremely, we're extremely bogged down in our business and our, our head is down. We're working really, really hard. And all of a sudden we look up and six months has passed. Right. And then you're yeah. like, what? And you're like, what happened? Well, I, I have to really set back. Number one, I, I say this all the time is like schedule your life, like plan your life. Like don't just assume that these memorable moments of your family are, are going to happen. Don't just assume that these vacations are going to happen. Travel is going to happen. It's not just going to happen. You have to actually intentionally plan that in your life. So that's number one is I intentionally plan it. Number two is every few months I have to sit back and, and whenever I'm doing my quarterly goal sessions, I say, what progress did I make and how hard did I work to make the progress? So if I found myself for a quarter of the year and I worked extremely, extremely hard and I made no progress, I sit back and I say, what am I doing wrong that, I, that my busyness is going up and my productivity is going down? What am I doing and where am I not aligning myself right now to where I'm working less but getting more done? So every year, every, every quarter, I do an audit and I say, how far did I get and what did I get done and how hard did I have to work to do it? So if I'm working really, really hard and I'm not making enough progress, I have to understand that like, hey, I'm focusing, my, my efforts are focused in the wrong place. And, and it's and usually you'll find that it, it makes every other part of your life suffer. Your relationships suffer, your health suffers, everything else suffers. So I have to do an audit every quarter of the year and I have to tell myself, where's my most productive activities that I'm working the least to do? Not necessarily working, but like it might be working on harder things, but I don't, but I don't have to work as long on them. It's not busy work. Where can I delegate out the small things so that I can get the big things done? And then I can focus on living my life outside of that. Because you will find yourself where if you just work, 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 we're entrepreneurs. We will get caught up and, and three years will pass by and you'll lose three years of your life without even. And, and, and honestly, if you were to do an audit of that past three years, you would find out that a lot of that was just busy work that was unproductive. That if you would have just sat down and really took the time to determine what was your most productive activities and what's really going to move the needle, you probably would have gotten triple done in half the time. So that's where you have to really sit back and evaluate yourself every three months and say, what's my most productive activities? Did I, was I productive this quarter? And how hard did I have to work to do it? I feel like you could even ratchet that down to a weekly practice. You can. Yeah, absolutely. Like on can. Sundays, me and Bella are talking, we're in discussion right now about, um, God, that's such a weak statement. No, that's stupid as hell. No, me and Bella will on Sundays start a review. Like, like, see, I just caught myself. Like, so I just started with some fluffy bullshit statement where I was going to be like, oh, we're in discussions of doing something someday at some time. No, man, I'm going to do it. So I'm committing. Hey, text me this Sunday. 
I'm going to make sure that we're doing a weekly review to where we can sit and be like, okay, what goals do we make progress on? What goals do we not make progress on? You have my full permission to text me, kick my ass, call me names, make me cry if you feel like it. So, <laughs> and and, that, and that's the power of, that's the power of the compound effect. So it's me, right. me and Cody do this with each other constantly. So one, one thing that I want to hit on kind of as we get closer to the end here is you, my friend, are a 24-year-old millionaire. Congratulations. A lot of us will work our entire lives to get there. Um, I'm still in the process of it. It's kind of America's new milestone of success is being a millionaire. But I would make the argument that that number where a millionaire was five years, uh, like 20 years ago, is now maybe like five or 10 million to be at the top. But you hit the goal. I watched you. I was with you on the journey. We made it. You made it to the, you made it to the million. Woo. <laughs> what do you think? Um, the quote that I'm thinking of is it's not about what you accomplish. It's about who you have to become to accomplish that thing. Who did you have to become to get done what you got done? And what parts of that are you most proud of? I had to become a business owner. Um, frankly, you can't, you can no longer be a one man show. Um, you can't, you just can't, you can't do everything yourself. You can't be doing one-off things. You have to become a business owner and you have to develop an actual business that you plan on sustaining itself for years to come. If you're going to, uh, you know, reach the milestone of true success, which is, I mean, a millionaire is not true success, but I'm still on that path. So if you're going to become truly successful, yeah, you have to think like a business owner. Um, you can't be a one-stop shop employee. I mean, you can, but you're just going to, you're going to work yourself to death doing it. And you're not, and you're not going to build half of what you could have built and have half the impact that you can have. And you bought yourself a job. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to have yourself a full-time job, uh, which I mean, you know, I mean, at this point in my life, I have to say I'm, I'm working pretty hard, but um, I'm still young. We, we, we both should be. So, but, but, but what I will say is that I'm not so much working so hard for myself that I'm just um, just grinding, grinding it out myself. And I'm not like bringing anybody or anything up with me. Like I'm actually working hard on developing a company and developing something that's bigger than myself. And that involves other people and teams and impacts other people's lives. And that's what you have to do to actually, you have to like release from this singular person of like, I'm a solopreneur. It's like, I'm an entrepreneur. Actually, I, I'm building. I'm building businesses. I'm hiring people. I'm making impact. You have to actually grow to that point and let go of the last person if you do want to elevate and rise to the next level. So um, that's that's essentially who I had to become, and who I'm still becoming. I mean, we're still. I'm still learning how to do that. I mean, I'm freshly past the million mark, and it's still very learning how to do that. It's it's something that uh, you know, it's something that I have to learn how to do even better than I do now. But I will say. That is how you let go of the just me, me, me mentality. It's the we, we, we mentality. How do I bring, how do I bring everybody with me? How do I make impact and growth in other people's lives other than myself? How do I bring up everybody with me? And that's how you really elevate. Took, uh, took 45 minutes to get a quote, man. (laughs) Come on, man. So 45 minutes to get a quote. Come on, work once get paid forever. Me, me, me. Go from me, me, me to we, we, we. We ain't talking French, boys and girls. <laughs> talking principles. The truth, man. That that's fantastic. That that's fantastic. And isn't isn't it ironic that your biggest takeaway from hitting your goal numero uno was that the person that you had to become was the type of person that realized that it's not about you. it is that's the number one thing you realize it's a team sport sport. so it's funny you're like all the all in like you probably went through turmoil and stress and anxiety like who am i who am i who do i need to become and then all you realize is i just need to surround myself with the right team you have to surround yourself with the right people your network is your net worth and that means your friends you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with that is a quote that I wholly, wholly and fully believe in. That's why we're good friends because the people I, I decided oh, that I just, well, I decided that I, I decided that 
in order for me to elevate myself, I have to elevate the people around me. Mm-hmm. And that goes along with the people that you're, the, the groups that you're trying to reach into and mm-hmm. also the people that you're bringing with you. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways. You have to elevate, you have to bring the people around you that are surrounding you up with you, along with reaching up to the people that are ahead of you and trying to get into their circles as well. So um, that's the honest truth is that you have to, you have to understand that it's not about you. It's about everybody that you surround yourself with, the team, the people, the network, the influences, everything, if everybody else is right, then it all flows through osmosis to you. And that's how you elevate yourself too. It, another massive, massive form of irony is I had a crippling limiting belief that I cannot start this show unless I had a hundred doors in my portfolio. Nobody ever told me that there's no rule written somewhere that says you're not allowed to talk about what you enjoy or teach about what you enjoy until you have a hundred doors. But I don't even remember who told me it, but they were like, dude, that's literally the most selfish thing I've ever heard you say. And I was like, selfish. How is that selfish? That's almost self-deprecating. And he goes, no, it's egocentric because you're thinking about me, me, me. And to tie back to what you just said, it's about we, we, we. And so we're talking about taking all these conversations with you, uh, with all these other people that we're going to have on the show. And then now we can share those out with everyone because you get up outside your own freaking bubble and outside your own head. And you're like, hey, these are conversations that we need to share because these are conversations I'll call Cody on a tuesday night and we'll just we'll just shoot the crap and like this is what the conversation is right uh we're not really talking about we're not really talking about the game that happened last night even though tom brady looked frazzled but huge brady guy um it's like that's not our topic of conversation and uh like i'm excited to go to upw unleash the power within uh me and cody are going to tony robbins because we were drinking together in a bar and got drunk, and our idea of fun at a bar while drunk is booking Tony Robbins tickets. So yeah. maybe y'all don't want to hang out with us. It's okay. <laughs> maybe we're just weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we are. I, maybe we're the weird ones. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I am. I am perfectly fine with that. The uh, last well, the, thing I want to be, or anyone on this probably listening to this wants to be, is average or normal. And the cool thing about what you're doing too, you have to understand that with the podcasting space. Um, not only are you elevating yourself to the conversations that you're having with other people that are, you know, generally further along than you, you're also elevating everybody else that comes with you. So that also ties into that we, we, we mm-hmm. mentality is that you're bringing up everybody that listens to that show. You're bringing them into your field and your, your sphere of influence and exactly what you're talking about. You're letting everybody else have the same conversations that you're having. And, and you're, you're right. That is selfish that, uh, you were thinking that nobody would want to listen in on the conversations that you're having to that level. You know, that's extremely selfish to think because everybody does, you know, but people just, and you're allowing the ones that maybe don't have the opportunity or maybe just getting started into this, you're allowing them to see what that does in your life and what it could possibly do in theirs. And for everyone listening, like me and Cody, me and Cody went and we're golfing, you know, with uh, Mike Ayala, the man, the myth. And like he, he was dropping bombs on us. We're walking, we're walking, you know, golfing in Colorado, and he's dropping all these bombs on us, like kind of telling us this. And he encouraged me and Cody at the same time to, you know, start start sharing and do a better job of sharing. He's like, Y'all are being selfish. So it was Mike. It's freaking Mike that said it. Right. Yeah. Because he told us both. He's like, Y'all being selfish, man. Y'all need to share it because Mike's got a really cool podcast. It's called Investing for Freedom. If y'all want to check that out. Um but yeah, man, this has been this has been freaking awesome. I told you, I told you that we could just go off the cuff and come up this, with some. This is, awesome. this is extremely different podcast because this is more conversational than it is interview series, which I, you know, I really appreciate that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of interview fatigue in the podcasting world, and mm-hmm. I feel like you are breaking the sphere of that in, in the interview fatigue that you're just trying to have more conversations about you know, different things in life and things like that. You know, it's, it's extremely cool. It's like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I'm trying to be like, a. if Brandon Turner and Joe Rogan had a baby that wasn't, high, <laughs> that wasn't high on DMT, but maybe smoked a joint 
earlier that day and took a shot. <laughs> That's like the Action that. Academy, man. I like that. I like that. You need to put that in the show. You need to put that in your show description. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> man. It's just um, I want to. My goal for everyone listening to the show with each episode now, and it's it's a living, breathing, breathing organism. But our our goal is going to be to have five actionable things to take out of each episode and to have five uh, resources from each episode. So whether that be books, communities, Facebook pages, um, blog posts, something that where you can refer to and then five action items. So I think if a five and five, you get that from like a 50 minute episode. I think that's a slam dunk because besides that, what are y'all listening to? Like y'all listen to uh, Megan the stallion rapping in the car. <laughs> like, take it take some action get some get some investing some knowledge some feedback into your brain rather than some stuff taking it out of your brain and i promise y'all if you're listening to this obviously you're a podcaster but i promise that the more you do this it, it actually becomes so much freaking fun and that's the point of this we're trying to have fun we're trying to have good conversations involve all of you and on that note, my friend, that's our time. Want we'll to be conscious of yours. Want we'll to be conscious of the listeners. So, uh, Mr. Caswell, <laughs> I will see you, sir, with Mr. Tony Robbins. See you next November, month. brother. See you next month, my friend. I'm really excited for that. Thank you so much for having me, man. This has been a blast. I'm excited to see where this grows, too. I'm excited to see what you grow into from this. And I hope that you invite me on here in a year and we get to see how we've both grown into this and get to, you know, see where our growth has happened from there. Maybe, maybe have mics that work. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No but, man, we can dream. All right. This is, uh, this is Brian Lubin and uh, the Cody Caswell signing off for the mother freaking action Academy. <laughs>